This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Placement Nation, welcome back to the great episode of the one and only Placement Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Zero, coming to you live here from the PTVN studios on this Monday evening. And joining me, as always, my PIC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Good evening, Placement Nation. Welcome to episode 602 of the longest running episodic motherfucking gold standard as we dive into season seven of the Place to Be podcast. Hope everyone enjoyed. Uh, season uh, episode 600 uh, we had a lot of fun doing that and of course our episode 601 two weeks ago with Chad Campbell yes. uh, but uh, tonight another fun show JR how's it going what's cooking not too much I'm excited we're winding down 07 already um, definitely moving Crazy. through this year pretty quickly but it's been fun it's been uh, eye-opening in some levels like I, I knew 07 was well regarded from a pay-per-view stretch but right you know the Benoit hangover was a lot shorter than I recalled yeah, and the pay-per-view quality has been a lot steadier. And the star power has been super impressive as well. Um, 07 still has way more star power than you may have remembered. Tons of stars up and down the card. Yep. I we're going to dive into all that tonight. Uh, and we're going to do that with our very special guest. You've heard him here before. Multi-time guest. And that is our good friend, Greg Diener. Greg, how are you? Oh, guys. How are y'all doing tonight? Pleasure to have you, Greg. Always oh, a pleasure. Fantastic. I'm so excited to close out the year at... I've got my my Santa hat on. I got my sparklers. I got my New Year's party hat on. I got everything. So mm. very good, very good. Always good to have you here. And looking forward to diving into the final pay per view of 07. Before we do that, though, as is our usual here on the show, is we head back 14 years to dive into our vintage vintage vault, classic vintage vault, classic mm. retro callback i don't know do we have an official name for this thing yet i don't know we got a lot of adjectives and a lot of nouns but i mean we're, we're technically in the vintage vault so it's almost like the time machine i guess or mm. the, the wrestling warp something like that we'll find some type of cool uh snappy right. name for it but well either way you're gonna tell us what was going on in the house show circuit back yes. at this time in 1993 well it's funny uh jr uh 
you know, I, you, we always talk about, particularly WWF, maybe not so much WCW, but it always seemed like Vince had those these guys working literally every day mm-hmm. uh, throughout history. But believe it or not, neither mm. WWF nor WCW had house shows tonight. WWF what? actually had like a, yeah, WCW, WWF almost had like a three-week break, which I thought was weird. Um, they, they didn't, according to uh, Landy and uh, Graham in the history of WWE.com, I don't think they had a house show from like December 14th to like December 27th or something. They had like a two. And they weren't break. overseas or anything? That's no, crazy. it was nothing. There was a big gap. It was crazy. It's not that Israeli tour that they, we talked about with the Herb Notes last episode? Yeah, no, yes, the mystery tour of Tel Aviv. I, they, there was nothing there. There was nothing there. Now, WCW was a little different. They would do tapings, and then they'd take a break. And, of course, uh, coming up about a week after this date, uh, what was it, December 27th, I think, was actually Starcade, yeah. uh, highlighted by the epic main event between Vader and Flair for the world title. Um, but they didn't have any shows either. They, they, But, I mean, WCW was different. They were running things. You know, at this point, Bischoff was in charge. So they were running things differently. So I'm not, I wasn't surprised that I didn't see any house shows for that kind of gap in December. But I was very surprised when I did not see anything for WWF between like December 13th and like December 27th. I was very surprised. And December 27th, I think, was the MSG show, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. So, yeah, there was a gap. There was a there was a break. I don't know if it was the guys. I mean, Landy and, and, and Graham are, are both pretty great uh, running that site, as always. So. If they didn't, if it's not there, then it didn't happen. I mean, maybe there's a random international show that maybe no one has any documentation of, but it was a huge gap of no stuff for WWF. So uh, the next time, JR, that we do a uh, house show report, we'll be actually into 1994, which is kind of crazy. So, but no house shows on this uh, night, uh, December 18th of 1993 so or 16th i'm sorry i think it's december 16th 1993 so uh with that jr why don't we uh fire up our last of 1993 are we got a four pack for you here greg tonight so let's dive in november 20 november 26 1993 jerry lawler has been freed after posting a thousand dollar bail charger two counts of statutory rape two counts of sodomy has maintained his innocence even on TV, saying that people who know him know he's not capable of such actions. Lawler and his lawyer have claimed that the case will be thrown out because they claim the accuser has admitted making up the story, but they went on to plead not guilty and post the bail money in court. So the talk seems to only be bravado. Rumors of a payoff abound. It would seem certain that Lawler's reputation will be tarnished. Nope. Speaking of... Lawsuits, Vince McMahon has pled not guilty to three star, three charges of conspiring to distribute steroids, released on $250,000 unsecured bond. Federal indictment alleged that the 47-year-old McMahon and his company Titan Sports have conspired to distribute the steroids from 1985 to 1991, also charged with legal possession of steroids with the intent to distribute. McMahon says, I'd like to say that sometimes life isn't fair. I believe this is one of those instances. The U.S. government is seeking to seize the $9 million corporate headquarters of Titan Sports. The government says McMahon used Titan funds to purchase steroids. The U.S. law provides for seizure of property and drug offenses. If convicted, he faces eight years of prison and a $500,000 fine. Some reports that even up to a million dollar fine is possible. So it's a huge pivot point for this company, guys, because, you know, if, if Vince ends up in jail, I know the rumors around the time were that Jerry Jarrett could step in and Linda would run the business, but it very much would have likely resulted in maybe just a regional 
um, thing at best. Like, I don't know if they would have maintained their national uh, popularity and success if all of a sudden they're dropping a million dollar fine, losing Titan Tower, Vince is in the can. Like, what does the future of this company look like? Could have been dramatically different. And we're not going to do a full who's uh, what if, but definitely yeah. a, a big, uh, big potential swing. Mm. Crazy. Rumors abound that WCW has turfed both Sid Vicious and Arn Anderson as a result of the England melee. Other talk is that Anderson is on the booking sheets. Of course, WCW has made no official statement on the conclusions of their ever going on ever ongoing investigation. All the bad mouthing of Hulk Hogan in recent times by various ODFers, including Randy Savage and Bret Hart, have led to more speculation that Hogan is coming to WCW. <laughs> Maybe Hogan will give uh, WCW will give Hogan the NWA belt from Rick Rude and have a Hogan Flair unification. Despite the angle of the clash, Dusty Rhodes claims he has no plan to return to the ring. Starcade, December 27th, Ric Flair versus Vader, Sting versus Rude, Steamboat versus Regal, Dustin Rhodes versus Steve Austin, Paul Roma and Paul Orndorff versus Two Cold Scorpio and Marcus Bagwell, Awesome Kong versus the Shockmaster, and the Equalizer versus Terry Taylor. With Arn Anderson gone, Paul Roma versus Anderson has been scrapped. It like, looks likely the second match will be changed to Rude versus the British Bulldog after an angle in recent times. New Japan is their annual beginning of the year show. The Tokyo Dome, January 4th, Tenru Inoki, Fujinami Hogan, Goto, Super Strong Machine, Saki and Hawk versus Jurassic Powers of Hercules and Scott Norton, Jushin Liger versus T- Tiger Mask, Keiji Muto and Hiros- uh, Hirohase versus the Signers, Kido, Black Cat, Kojima, and Nakanishi, and Nagata versus Koshinaka, Kimura, Kabuki, Kobayashi, and Ohara. And then a couple of the matches as well, including Hashimoto versus Chono for the IWGP title. DODF has the Royal Rumble in Providence. The rumored lineup is Yokozuna versus The Undertaker. Super Brawl 4 on February 20th. Rumored lineup is Ric Flair versus Vader. And a Thunderdome cage, Pillman, Austin, and Dustin Rhodes versus... I'm sorry, Pillman, Sting, and Dustin Rhodes versus Austin, Orndorff, and Rick Rude. And Davey Boy Smith versus William uh, Lord Stephen Regal. WrestleMania 10 in MSG on April 3rd. Uh, Greg, any anything on those notes there? Well, WrestleMania tends off by about two weeks. But, right. Um, yeah. He pretty much got the um, Super Bowl uh, coordinator, except for Davy Boy, because Davy Boy is gone after before uh, Starcade, right? Because they replaced him with Boss Man for the Starcade match right. with Rude. I'm guessing that was last minute, though. So he might have been right at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, that two week break, like Christmas time, just seems like very weird mm-hmm. for, for Vince, yeah. All right, let's fast forward to December 2nd, a uh, very short post, as uh, he managed to juice the hard way. Herb cut uh, a gusher instead of his baguette, so it was Jeez. hard for him to uh, put this together. Bobby Heenan and Mr. Perfect have left the building, as far as the DF is concerned. We know that Heenan's contract is up soon. Word is he's not staying with the company. Heenan asked for a few days off a while ago when his dad took ill and just decided not to return. Medusa defeated Allison Royal in the first round of the women's title tournament. In the you thought it couldn't get any more tasteless department, talk is that Georgie Animal Steel is being brought in to manage Bastion Booger in the WF. Starcade lineup is the same as we talked about in our last notes. Same as the New Japan card. Same as the Royal Rumble. And same as Super Bowl. So pretty much nothing new in this batch here. Let's move ahead to December 9th. He is healed from his accidental bleeding. Lots of talk of Hulk Hogan being named as the mystery friend of Vince McMahon and myths of sharing steroids with. Vince has said from the start he experimented with decadurbalin 
and shared it with a friend. He didn't understand how it made him the distributor that he's accused of being. It's expected that Hogan will be forced to testify against McMahon. Speaking of Hogan, people have talked about the fact that his wrestling dolls mentioned the new Dirty F ad. Hey, the guy can have a souvenir contract with Vince and not a wrestling one. Doesn't mean anything about the personal situation between the two. Subject to much speculation with Bret Hart and Randy Savage dumping on him in recent times. Business is business and the damn dolls are big business. Bobby Heenan has been unceremoniously dumped by Vigorilla Monsoon on Raw. His contract is up and him and Vince cannot reach a deal and he is officially gone. Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, has apparently used his dad's illness as an excuse to not return. He was pissed he was never given the IC title back. And after all, he headlined against Shawn Michaels most of the time until Michaels' suspension. And then Vince gave the title to Razor Ramon instead. Hennig certainly doesn't figure into current title situation either. He has been talking to WCW about working clashes and pay-per-views like Road Warrior Hawk. Survivor Series did the worst buy rate ever for any Jodi pay-per-view at 0.85. Still beats out recent WCW pay-per-views, though. Gives the lineup for Starcade, which again is the same. Rumor has it Vader will be lo- leaving, uh, losing the title and take a holiday from WCW. New Japan card, same there. Royal Rumble, tentative lineup is Yokozuna versus The Undertaker and the Quebecers versus The Smoking Guns. And the same uh, for Super Raw still has uh, Mania and MSG, but does have the new date of March 20th now. And sorry, Greg, we're not getting much out of Herb here in December. It seems like he's kind of packing it in at the end of the year. But one more from uh, December 16th before he takes the rest of the year off. Out of the frying pan and into the fire. Faster than you can say Bobby Heenan, the brain has been contacted by WCW. Vince had a problem flying Heenan from Sarasota to Stanford several times a week to do his different commentary jobs and asked that Heenan move. Heenan did not want to move to Stanford, so the sides reached and passed, and Heenan's association with WF is now history. WCW immediately called up the brain and offered to fly him anywhere at any time that they needed him. The deal was struck, and the brain is in, and we'll likely see him at Starcade. Which, of course, is not true. Medusa is the new women's champion, having won the seemingly mostly fictitious tournament at best. She'll be brought into RF as Alexandra Blaze and feud with Luna. Very creative name, huh? Blaze makes you think of Blaze, which makes you think of Bam Bam Bigelow. And the fireball image makes you think Bam Bam and Blaze will be paired. What a lovely, lovely love triangle we'll have. David Boy Smith, the history with WCW, reports varying whether this is temporary or permanent. Of course, the talk is about steroids. Apparently, Davey was involved in a barroom brawl in Calgary. There are legal charges stemming from that WCW wants to distance itself from. He'll be replaced by the big boss man of Starcade in the international title match. Back at WCW is Diamond Dallas Page, after talk of him going to WF. Jungle Jim Steele is also making his way in. Starcade uh, looks like pretty much still the same, so he's got that card nailed. Now just Big Boss Man versus Rick Rude. New Japan as well. Card is still holding strong. Royal Rumble on January 22nd. Yokozuna versus The Undertaker. Quebecers versus The Smoking Guns. And Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental title. So way off in this card right now. It's expected Owen Hart and Bret Hart will somehow collide in the Royal Rumble. And there's some good news. The winner of the Rumble gets a title match at WrestleMania against the title holder, so that means we will not be getting Yokozuna versus Undertaker at WrestleMania. Super Brawl, still the same two matches, and WrestleMania on April, uh, March 20th. So, again, pretty uh, docile batch of Herb here, but any final thoughts from either of you guys? Well, Herb didn't get the memo that, that after the holidays that Brett and Owen would uh, reform and uh, Brett mm-hmm. would slowly would uh, dedicate his career to tag team wrestling. So you missed that scoop, Herb. <laughs> way off. Yeah, way that, off. That, that whole uh, Alundra Blaze Bigelow thing is so fucking stupid. <laughs> oh, I mean, God. Herb trying to be funny or if that was a legit. No, that's Herb fucking- taking what he thinks is reading the tea leaves 
and speaking it as fact and then commenting on it. Yeah, that's that's a herb thing. He leaves because that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, the uh, the uh, the other stuff is 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 fairly solid. Um, uh, you know that the he got the you know the date right. He's mm-hmm. way off uh, on the the rumble stuff, but um, he seemed to be pretty. We talked about it on with Chad two weeks ago, Jr. That uh, Herb seemed to be kind of on the pulse that Taker was the guy now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's maybe because Hogan's gone and you know Vince is on is good you know big on big dudes, but of course right now the way the the, the pickle he's in right now, he should probably stop worrying about the big dudes mm-hmm. and just get great matches. Um, but yeah, I uh, everything seems to be pretty laid laid in right now. You know, obviously Starcade's big. They're already looking ahead to Super Brawl, even though Starcade hadn't even happened yet. So fairly solid for for Herb for the end of the year. Well, you could say if Alunja does come in with that pairing, that all all that she wants is just a little Bam Bam. Just like all that she wants is just out of the baby. The number one song in the nation this week in 1993, Ace of Bass, of course writing the vocals and accoutrement for that song. And that brings us into Scott Criscolo's Vintage Pop Culture Corner. Thank you, JR. And, uh, yep, uh, All That She Wants by Ace of Bass is number two on this week, December 18th uh, of 1993. Again, by Janet Jackson back at number one. Uh, Hero by Mariah Carey at three. Meatloaf, the former number one. It was the number one on our last episode. Uh, I Would Do Anything for Love, but I Won't Do That at four. Shoop by Salt and Peppa at five. Gangsta Lean by DRS at six. All for Love, the uh, Three Musketeers song by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting at seven. Breathe Again by Tony Braxton at 8, Please Forgive Me by Brian Adams at 9, and Said I Loved You But I Lied by Michael Bolton at number 10. So kind of a fizzler of the end to end 93. I'm looking forward to 1994. Well, I feel like last week's were better. It's like a um, you know one-month big shift in the top 10 there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm looking forward to when we uh, turn the page into January of 94 and see what we get there. Let's go from the uh, radio to the theater and see what we got for the this week in 1993 uh in the movies jurassic park still hanging around there uh 337 million now schindler's list made it back onto the list that's weird that was a movie from earlier in the year uh the piano at nine adam's family values which debuted on our last episode back in november at eight the three musketeers at seven geronimo an american legend at six sister act two back in the habit oh yeah Mm. five uh, Wayne's World 2 at number four. Beethoven's Second at number three. A lot of sequels right now. A lot of sequels. It was like four in a row. At number two. It's already made $79 million at this point. And making its uh, debut uh, this weekend, little John Grisham action, The Pelican Brief. Oh. Uh, de- yes, I believe. Was that, that was what? Denzel? Denzel and Julia, yeah. Yep, there you go. So that was number one that week. So there we go there. So let's go from the radio 
to the theater, to taking the field. Oh. All right. So I still maintain my lead, even with the loss to Chad uh, a couple weeks ago. Defeated me 10 to 8. However, breaking things down, looks like I'm sitting at uh, 28 total, and my opponents are at 25. So still got a three-game lead. Greg, we'll see if you can pull the field a little bit closer. This is it, right, Scott? Uh, this should be it, yeah. Because All right, so you beat me by four to, to win for the season. Oh, okay. Yeah, Pressure's on. All right. We begin at uh, Soldier Field. This is week 16, by the way, of the 1993 season. Uh, week, uh, let's go to uh, Soldier Field in Chicago as the Bears host the Denver Broncos, JR. Oh, uh, I will take Elway and Denver on the road. Okay. Great. Um, this is either Ditka's last year or the first year he's outright. Something like no that. Help. Yeah. No help. No uh, help. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I will go with the Broncos. Yeah, this isn't can you use that word in a sentence? Uh, Greg, mm. um, Broncos win 13 to 3. Uh, JR, after all the years that we've been doing of all the episodes through mm. the uh, 85, I think this has happened for the first time. Our teams meet at Giant Stadium in the Meadowlands. The Jets host world champion Dallas Cowboys. Greg. Oh, yeah. I remember them collapsing late in 93. It's the Cowboys. I will take Dallas. I want to bet from a guy in college on this game. Uh, Cowboys win 28-7. Let us go to Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. The Bengals host the Los Angeles Rams, JR. Uh, I will take the Rams. I will do the same, the Rams. A rookie for the Rams by the name of Jerome Bettis rushed for 124 yards, but the Bengals win 15. Yeah. Let's go to uh, the Mistake by the Lake Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. The Browns host the New England Patriots, Greg. Oh, so it's Bill Belichick going up against his future team, huh? Pretty much. Oh, geez. Uh, you know what? It's against Parcells, so I'm going to go with New England. It's Bledsoe's rookie year, right? So I'm, I'll go with New England. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to take the pass as well. Uh, Vinny Testaverde, one of JR's future favorites, uh, threw for 297, but the Pats win 20 to 17. Let's go to Lambeau Field in Green Bay. The Packers host the Minnesota Vikings, JR. All right, look, I overthought this one a couple weeks ago, so I'm going to go Packers at home. Okay. No, I'm going to go opposite. I'm going to go Minnesota. Brett Favre threw for a 256. Vikings win on the road, though. Mm. 21-17. Oh, nail-biter here this week. We go down to Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami. The Dolphins hosting the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Greg? Oh, this, is a, this is a coin flip. Um, I'll go Buffalo. Okay. I'll take Buffalo as well. Well, Steve DeBerg played for uh, Dan Marino, who's probably hurt. He threw for 273. Uh, a shootout in Miami. The Bull, The Bulls. The Bills win 47 to 34. So shoot. Emmy. One hell of a game. Let's go to Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, where the Steelers host the Houston Oilers, JR. I will take the Oilers. Greg? They're not. uh, Steelers aren't good yet. I'm going to go with Houston. 
Warren Moon throws for 268. Oilers win 26 to 17. Let's go to RFK. The Washington you-know-whos hosting the Atlanta Falcons, Greg. I will go D.C. Me too. Uh, Bobby Bear, who little Chad probably had a Bobby Bear jersey, threw for 233. But the Washington you-know-whos win 30 to 17. Let's go to uh, the Silverdome in Pontiac. The Lions hosting the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, JR. I will take the Niners. Niners. Steve Young throws for 354. This one was not close. Niners win 55-17. Woo! Mm. Barry Sanders must not have played. Let's go to Arrowhead. Chiefs host the San Diego Chargers, Greg. Um, I don't think Bobby Ross is coaching the Chargers yet. Um, this is Montana's first year in Kansas City, so I'm going to go Kansas City. Yeah, I'll take the Chiefs at home. Montana threw for a buck 68. Chiefs win 28 to 24. Let's go out to the mausoleum in L.A. The Raiders host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, Jr. I will take the Raiders. Okay. Raiders. Raiders win 27 to 20, even though uh, Craig Erickson threw for 295. Let's go to the uh, Kingdom in Seattle, the Seahawks and the Phoenix Cardinals, Greg. You know what? I'm feeling dangerous. I'm going to go Phoenix. Jr. Well, look, I hate to play this way, but I'm, I'm just trying to run up the score here and, and play defense. So I'm going to take Phoenix as well. Steve Berline threw for 431 yards. Cardinals win in overtime. Ooh. 30 to 27. I'm glad you Four. went first. That's not great because I would have definitely taken Seattle. <laughs> uh, we go to the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis. The Colts hosting the Philadelphia Eagles, Jr. I will take uh, Philly. Greg? Philly, Philly. Well, Jeff George is quarterback in the Colts. That's all you need to say. Eagles win 20 to 10. And finally, Monday night at the Superdome in New Orleans, the Saints host the New York football Giants. Greg? Giants. Here. Take the Giants as well. Bill Sims throws for a buck 66. Giants win 24 to 14. All right, so Greg, you win the week by one, um, but let's see, I got 40, my opponents have 26, 38, so I won by two. Greg picked up the game. I think everyone can sit here and thank Ryan Gray for shitting the bed two weeks in a row to uh, go ahead and hand me a victory for this season. I'm very excited, Scott, to uh, take this two-point win home. There you go. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll keep monitoring things when we get into the next couple weeks in terms of... Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, um, mm -hmm. playoffs and such. NBA, there were six games on this night. Uh, your Hornets lost to the Nets, 111-95. to My Lakers, who suck, got blown out by Mr. D'Amato's Knicks, 108-85. to So the standings, the Knicks, 15-4 and out of the gate. Well, with Michael not there and the Bulls kind of, uh, um, you know, the Bulls kind of vulnerable with Michael gone as he was on his <coughs> self-imposed exile. Yeah, right. Uh, the Knicks, uh, 15 and four out of the gate in the Atlantic. The Hawks are 15 and five in the Central. The Bulls are 11 and eight. They're not doing terrible, but they're not what they were with Michael. The Houston Rockets, 20 and one to start the season. And the Sonics are 17 and two. Good starts for some teams. The Suns were mm -hmm. 53. 
lot of good starts in the NBA to start that 93. Again, I, I think I personally think team, you know, Michael was gone. So the Bulls are vulnerable. I think teams were hungry that there was an opening for them. So um, I am uh, anticipating uh, more great results as we go through the NBA season. Uh, the NHL on this uh, night, only two games. Uh, Flyers beat the Nordiques three to two. Sabres beat the uh, lose to the Penguins two to one. Uh, in the divisions, the Rangers with a nine-point lead on the Devils, 47. Yeah. Uh, the Penguins lead the Northeast by four over the Bruins. They have 39 points. Maple Leafs lead the Central with 45 points, eight better than the Stars. And the Flames lead the Pacific with 41 points, nine over Vancouver. And that, uh, JR, is your Pop Culture Corner. Very, very good. Thank you, Scott, and thank you to everyone who continues to contribute great content across all of our podcast networks, and also for everyone who listens and takes the time to leave a review, a rating, a share, or just download the show. We really, really appreciate it. There's tons of great content right here on this very network, Scott, the Place of Nation Wrestling Network. Absolutely. Uh, we've had a good uh, couple of weeks. A uh, new episode of Main Event dropped last week. Uh, all the great uh, monthly stuff. Uh, PTB ends pedestal through the looking glass, of course, highway to the impact zone and WA crock and roll the Saturday special. Of course, this fine program, the mothership, all the great stuff. It's all reliable place to be Also check out uh, the PTB pop experience, Andy Atherton, Miranda and everybody over there with some great content, movies, TV shows. Uh, Greg, do you know anybody? Uh, somebody does a show over there. I can't remember the name of it. Something. Mm. I don't know. Vintage thing? I don't know. Whatever. Something um, about a thing on TV. Yeah, TV crap, whatever. And uh, of course, seriously, everyone, Mr. Diener and his guys, with it was a thing on TV. Uh, for those that may not know, tell us a little bit about the show. Yeah, uh, every week on the show, we cover like some obscure stuff that has aired on TV over the years, like maybe a forgotten show over the years. So actually, this month, we're actually doing a themed month regarding um the release of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Most of the shows we're covering for this coming month involve a show that has featured an actor who's been in the MCU. So that's going to be a fun month for us to do. So Excellent. So check that out. It was a thing on TV over on the uh, PTB Pop Experience. So check that stuff out. JR, what do you got going over on the No So? Yeah, no, it's a connection. We have content dropping literally every day. Cronosa Daily has been a big hit where we have a different voice every morning at 8 a.m. taking you chronologically to the history of dirty pay-per-views and Saturday Night's Main Events. One match, one voice each day. Check it out every morning, plus tons of other great content. Wrestling Warzone is back on the air. Me and Chad Campbell going through the Monday Night Wars. We are into September 1996. Also back is New Gen on a Mission, Justin Pratt, Tim Slonka going through the New Generation era, pr pretty much right around the era we've been covering on our kind of classic, uh, you know, time hop here on this show. Mm -hmm. They're right around the King of the Ring 93 time frame. So that's every other Tuesday. Rotates with Jacob Williams, Ruthless the Aggressive podcast. He just got into 2003. And of course, Extreme Theory Dance, me, Jenny and Matt Souza going through the history of ECW. We're closing in on the end of 1996. Lots of cool stuff happening there and just tons of other content. I'm not even scratching the surface. If you love wrestling, you love nerd level wrestling content. Uh, that is the spot for you. And of course the exclusive home now of the Jenny position, Jennifer Smith's cadre shows comes at you each and every Wednesday rotating through or her offering. So be sure to check that out as well. All right, let's head back in the time machine to 2007 as it is now time to talk Armageddon. 
came to me in a dream last night. Show. You the end is near. <laughs> we know it's Armageddon when that song gets broken out. <laughs> so, or at least December. We know it's December pay-per-view. Right. Uh, December 16th, 2007 from the Mellon Arena in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 12,500 by rate 237,000. A few things have happened since our last pay-per-view. On the November 19th Raw, we saw a vignette in which answered the code tonight all appeared on the screen. And later in the evening, the Matrix-style code broke and revealed a return, a very obvious return that most people knew about, of Chris Jericho, who had been gone since SummerSlam 2005. So just over two-year hiatus for Jericho. He is back. We'll talk more about him later. November 20th, Linda Hogan filed for divorce from her husband, Terry Hulk Hogan. Just before the smartest start of SmackDown on November 20th, Matt Hardy's appendix burst. He was rushed to the hospital. December 3rd marks the one-year anniversary of what many consider to be the worst dirty pay-per-view of all time, ECW December to Dismember, the last official ECW solo pay-per-view. Of course, you can hear all about that on uh, Extreme Resurrection with our buddy Grooney and Michael Cook hosting that show on this very feed. December 6th episode of ECW featured the first vignette promoting the debut of Kofi Kingston. So I'm seeing him soon. December 7th, not only was my 27th birthday, also the taping of an annual tribute to the troops show, which would air on December 24th from Camp Spiker in Tikrit, Iraq. It was a very infamous birthday for me, Scott. Uh, went to the bar. I got fucking loaded on three Wiseman shots. Ooh, yes. I was tanked. I saw, we saw pictures floating around the house from that one. And, uh, we had went to breakfast like late in the morning. There was a spot near mm-hmm. our old house that would open up like two in the morning. And I could not, I was sitting there. The world started spinning big time. And Mr. Flanagan had to walk me up the hill back to the house to pass out. Uh, basically carried me up the hill. So I remember a very memorable night that night for my birthday. I don't know if it was yeah. on that exact night, but it was around then. Yes, definitely. December 10th was the Raw 15th anniversary show, which had appearances by The Godfather, Molly Holly, Eric Bischoff, Trish Stratus, Lita, Ron Simmons, McFoley, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So a pretty big episode of Raw there. Also had a dark match on this night, which were Jesse and Festus take on John Morrison and The Miz in a tag team match. Before you continue, JR, mm-hmm. uh, I am going, we're going to debut a new segment uh, on, okay. our show, on our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to nerd out here and talk about this is definitely a nerd uh, project here. I've always wondered with all the years of all the pay-per-views we've ever watched and written JR and, and documented, what state hosts the most pay-per-views of all time? So starting tonight, mm-hmm. we're going to document. Uh, I have a scoreboard, a list. We're going to go through it. And it's the only time we're going to go through it. We'll just, from this point forward, we're just going to update it. But I'm going to go through it quick. Uh, the pay-per-view state scoreboard okay um and see if a they hit all 50 which we know they don't but uh you know where they have or have not been so here we go we'll go very quickly so as of this pay-per-view uh one two three four five six seven the following states so i think it's what five i think 11 maybe 10 uh states have only had one pay-per-view this is to this point not not currently since Mm -hmm. 2007 Alabama, just one, Armageddon 2000 in Birmingham. Arkansas has one, No Mercy 2002 in Little Rock. Colorado, only one, Vengeance 2003, Denver. Louisiana, only one, Royal Rumble 2001 in New Orleans. Of course, we know in the future that will grow. 
Nebraska's only had one in your house, good friends, better enemies in Omaha. New Hampshire has only had one backlash 2005 in Manchester. The Silverback, Mr. Rotella was there. Oklahoma's had one, Unforgiven 2005 in Oklahoma City. Oregon won, Unforgiven 2004 in Portland. South Carolina won, of course, in your house, beware of dog, the combo of Florence and Charleston. And Washington has had one, WrestleMania 19 to this point. Uh, the following's only had two pay-per-views. Arizona, SummerSlam 2003, Judgment Day 2006, both in Phoenix. We've had two international shows, SummerSlam 1992, of course, in London, and New Year's Revolution 2005 in San Juan. Uh, two shows in Minnesota, both in Minneapolis, SummerSlam 1999 and Judgment Day 2005. The following states have hosted three pay-per-views. Indiana with three, all in Indianapolis, WrestleMania 8, In Your House Buried Alive, and Great American Bash 2006. Maryland has hosted three, all in Baltimore. King of the Ring 1994, No Mercy 2003, No Way Out 2006. And Nevada has hosted three, of course, all in Vegas, WrestleMania 9, No Way Out 2001, and Vengeance 2005. And Virginia has hosted three. In Your House, Cold Day in Hell in Richmond, Great American Bash 2004 in Norfolk, and Armageddon a year ago, JR, Armageddon 2006 in Richmond. Uh, the following have hosted four pay-per-views to this point. Connecticut, all in Hartford, Survivor Series 1990. Yes. Yes. WrestleMania 11, No Way Out 2000, and Vengeance 2004. Chad Campbell's beloved state of Georgia has hosted four. Four pay-per-views in three different places. How about that for specific? Royal Rumble 2002 in Atlanta. Armageddon 2004 in Duluth. Uh, the aforementioned December to Dismember 2006 was in Augusta. And a uh, show we did when we restarted the reboot, uh, Backlash 2007, as, J as uh, Chad mentioned in the last episode, in Atlanta. Kentucky has had four. Uh, three of them in Louisville. In your house, number six. In your house, ground zero. Judgment Day 2000. And Backlash 2006 was in Lexington. Of course, uh, JR's beloved Rhode Island has hosted four, all in Providence. He was at three of the four. Royal Rumble 1994, King of the Ring 1997, Backlash 1999, and Armageddon 2005. Washington, D.C. has hosted four. Survivor Series 1995, Backlash 2000, SummerSlam 2005, and Cyber Sunday 2007. And Wisconsin has hosted four. King of the Ring 1996, Over the Edge 1998, No Way Out 2002, and Taboo Tuesday 2004. Uh, one state has hosted five. JR, any guesses? Um, New Jersey? Uh, close. They hosted a few more. We'll have that coming up. Greg? Gander? Um, Illinois? Nope, they hosted more. Tennessee? Hmm. Ooh. In, in your house, number two, Nashville. In your house, final four, Chattanooga. St. Valentine's Day Massacre, 1999, Memphis. Judgment Day, 2002, Nashville. And Unforgiven, 2007, Memphis. Uh... Three states have hosted seven pay-per-views. Massachusetts. Gaz. Survivor Series 1993, Boston. In your house, DX. Springfield. WrestleMania 14. Gaze. King of the Ring 2000. Royal Rumble 2003. All Boston. Backlash 2003 in Worcester. And Backlash 2006 in Boston. Missouri has hosted seven. In your house, Bad Blood, St. Louis. Survivor Series 98, St. Louis. Over the Edge 99, of course, uh, Kansas City. 
No Mercy 2001, St. Louis, Backlash 02, Kansas City, New Year's Revolution 2007, Kansas City, and Judgment Day 2007, St. Louis. And JR, you said New Jersey, they've hosted seven. Two in Atlantic City, of course, WrestleMania's four and five, and the rest in East Rutherford. SummerSlam's 89 and 97, King of the Ring 01, No Mercy 04, and uh, as we just did a few episodes ago, SummerSlam 07. Uh, two states have hosted eight. Michigan, uh, WrestleMania 3 Pontiac, Survivor Series 91 Detroit, SummerSlam 93 Auburn Hills, In Your House number 3 Saginaw, and then the rest in Detroit, Survivor Series 99, Vengeance 02, Survivor Series 05, and of course WrestleMania 23. North Carolina has been all over the place. They have eight. Unforgiven 98 Greensboro, King of the Ring 99 Greensboro, Unforgiven 99 Charlotte, SummerSlam 2000 Raleigh. Survivor Series 01 Greensboro, Judgment Day 03 Charlotte, Vengeance 06 Charlotte, and No Mercy 06 Raleigh. You said Illinois, um, uh, Greg, they've hosted nine to this point, all of them at Rosemont, except, of course, SummerSlam 1994, which was at uh, the United Center. Wrestling Classic, WrestleMania 2, Survivor Series 89, WrestleMania 13, Judgment Day 98, Backlash 01, WrestleMania 22, and No Mercy 07, all in Rosemont. That has to have had the most pay-per-views hosted out of any of them up to now, right? Mm, well, at this point, depends. But we'll get there. Uh, well, there's two other states that are that are head and shoulders above, and you can probably figure that out. Um, two states to this point have hosted 11. Florida, and you can tell a theme with these shows, uh, Royal Rumble 90, 90, Orlando, 91, Miami, and 95, Tampa. In your house, it's time. West Palm, Armageddon 99, Sunrise, Survivor Series 2000, Tampa, Armageddon 02, Sunrise, Armageddon 03, Orlando, Royal Rumble 06, Miami, One Night Stand 07, Jacksonville, and Survivor Series 07, Miami. So at this point, other than One Night Stand 07, every Florida pay-per-view was either in November, December, or January. <laughs> you think Vince did that on purpose? <laughs> every fucking winter pay-per-view in Florida. Uh, also, 11 shows in Ohio. Ohio. Uh, Survivor Series 87, 88, and 92, all in Richfield. Of course, one of JR's beloved favorites, King of the Ring 93 in Dayton. SummerSlam 96, Cleveland. No Mercy 99, Cleveland. Invasion 01, Cleveland. King of the Ring 02, Columbus. Bad Blood 04, Columbus. Survivor Series 04, Cleveland. And Cyber Sunday 06, Cincinnati. Texas has hosted 12 shows. Royal Rumble 89 in Houston. This Tuesday in Texas, 91 in San Antonio along with Survivor Series 94 and Rumble 97. No Way Out of Texas 98 Houston, Fully Loaded 2000 Dallas, WrestleMania 17 Houston, Bad Blood 03 Houston, Survivor Series 03 Dallas, No Mercy 05 Houston, Royal Rumble 07 San Antonio, and Vengeance Night of Champions 07 Houston. 13 shows in Canada, Canada alone. Royal Rumble 88 Hamilton, WrestleMania 6 Toronto, In Your House 4 Winnipeg, in Your House International Incident, Vancouver. In Your House Canadian Stampede. Survivor Series 97. Breakdown 98. Rock Bottom 98. WrestleMania 18. Uh, Toronto. No Way Out 03. Backlash 04. SummerSlam 04. And Unforgiven 06. And with this show, JR, Armageddon 07 and Greg, Pennsylvania is now in, I guess you could say second place because two states are tied for first. So I guess third place. Pennsylvania with 14 pay-per-views. Spread out throughout Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Hershey, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Hershey. I won't list them. You guys don't know where they are. Mm -hmm. And a tie for the top, obviously, 
the two most popular states that WWF goes for pay-per-view. California with 20 and New York with 20. So there you go. So that, that is the updated list. And we're not going to, I'm not going to do that every show, obviously. But I will update where the standings are. So with tonight, Armageddon 07, which is Pennsylvania's 14th pay-per-view, uh, the first one since uh, Survivor Series 06, which was in Philly, and the first one in Pittsburgh since No Way Out 05. So there we go. So we'll keep tabs on that every paper, every show and see where the states kind of bounce around as we go through uh, as we go through the shows. So JR, right. let's go to Pittsburgh. Let's dive in for our final outing of the year. We got our usual end of day style video package to get us going, highlighting all the top feuds and matches. And that brings us to our opener as MVP defends his United States title against Rey Mysterio. On November 23rd, JBL conducted an interview with MVP, presented him with a U.S. championship ring for the United Nations before reviewing footage of MVP attacking Matt Hardy. JBL said MVP is a future world champion, presented him with a 101 carat ring. Mysterio interrupted, called MVP a punk, and scared him to the floor after attempting a 619. Later in the evening, MVP defeated Mysterio in a non-title match after he held the ropes. On November 30th, Mysterio and Kane defeated Big Daddy V and MVP when Mysterio pinned MVP with a 619 and splash. And on December 14th, after defeating Kenny Dykstra, Mysterio was joined in the ring by MVP, who let Mysterio hold the U.S. title so he could feel what it looked like to become a champion again. Mysterio refused to shake MVP's hand, which resulted in MVP hitting him in the back of the head with the title before walking off. So we get kicked off by MVP with the U.S. title. A year after he really first made his mark in that infernal match against Kane, and it's been a massive calendar year for him where he's really become a star. JBL rips on Ray, who messed up MVP's championship ring ceremony. Just a really cool match on paper here as Ray looks to win some gold. We get some trading of mat work to get us going until Ray takes over with some kicks and heads to the air to pick up the pace, nabbing some early covers. Ray ships MVP to the floor, meets him with a nice twisting plancha over the ref. Really good crowd energy here. MVP turns the tide by sending Ray to the top turnbuckle with a nice counter. MVP cranks the neck, but Ray quickly punches out. MVP takes him down and maintains control with some hard strikes and neck submissions, fighting through some comeback attempts. Cole says MVP is obsessed with being U.S. champion, and JBL applauds it. Ray slips away, gets a hurricanrana to turn the tide. Ray eases into a flurry, picking the pace up as he regains his bearings. Ray slips off the top rope, but still hits a seated senton. However, his knee is clearly dinged up. Ray keeps pushing through the knee injury, but MVP smashes him to the clothesline, drags him to the top, but Ray counters as MVP uh, slugs him to the apron. MVP drags him back up and they trade strikes again until Ray gets a top rope hurricanrana for two. MVP comes back with a great mafia kick, but Ray kicks out. They go back and forth with counters and near falls, and the crowd is really involved now. As MVP dodges a 619 and goes to the floor, but Ray meets him with a leaping hurricanrana off the apron. But the plan backfires as Ray slides in. MVP starts to head in the ring, but at eight, he just falls to the floor and takes the countout loss. And the crowd was not happy with that. But MVP smartly retains his title. Ray beats him up after and leaves him laid out. That was a pretty good opener. Uh, a little clunky at times. It really felt like they were trying to get to the next gear, but couldn't quite find it. Ray didn't feel at full speed throughout, but MVP was crisp in his offense as always. And in one way, the finish was cool because he uses the smarts, but... On the other hand, it kind of felt like a TV finish to set up a pay-per-view versus ending the pay-per-view match that way. So we'll see where things go from here, but it's a good way to both engage the crowd but frustrate them at the end. So I went two and three quarters, Scott. What do you think of this finish? 
Um, I, I went two and a half. I wasn't crazy about it. Um, uh, I still love MVP. I still think he's awesome. Uh, his heat is still there. But this was definitely the first match in a while where he kind of struggled to kind of work himself, work his routine into the match. Ray, Ray at times is not the easiest guy to work with. Um, you know, unless you're at his level like a cruiser or you're a guy like Taker who could throw him all over the place. When you're kind of in between, sometimes it's not easy to to blend in. And, you know, MVP, to his credit, works his butt off. But he's not that kind of technician like a Sean or somebody that could kind of blend in and, and adapt. He's not quite that experienced to do that yet. So at times it was definitely a little off. And the finish was not the best. I would have just beat – I would have just had Ray – or had MVP beat him clean, he's earned it. So I would have just had him win clean because it didn't uh, it didn't help MVP that it had to end this way. I would have just beaten Ray clean here. But I gave it two and a half, Greg. I didn't hate it, but this was definitely the first time in a long time that, that MVP looked a little uncomfortable trying to work with a guy who was kind of, again, not his equal, but yeah. MVP big enough to wrestle as a big man. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I gave it the same grade, two and a half stars. I'm, I, you could tell MVP's working hard here, and it, it's it's kind of hard to get something out of Ray right now. But I have to say, MVP, if you go through the whole 2007, I think he's no pun intended. I think he's been the MVP of this year because mm-hmm. he's had great matches with. Um, you know who and Hardy. So, yeah, I would say him and Orton have been probably the and and then you know Batista and Taker, but those four I would put them in the top four for sure. Um, as a stalwart of the year and and delivered you know a lot of high level stuff. Uh, Sky did confirm December seventh, oh seven was a Friday night, so that was likely right on that day <laughs> that I was getting loaded as they were filming tribute to the troops. Todd Grisham talks to Jeff Hardy about his big opportunity tonight against Triple H, who he doesn't fear, and tonight's his night. It's time to step up and move on. Interesting matchup next. It's a tag match. Oh. CM, CM Punk teams with Kane to take on Big Daddy V and Mark Henry. Uh, on the 12-6 ECW, Henry won a coin toss against Big Daddy V to face Punk that same night. After the match, both Henry and Big Daddy V double-teamed Punk until Kane made the save with a chair. The next week, it was announced that Punk and Kane would face Mark Henry and Big Daddy V in this tag match. So, odd use of our champion. Uh, but Punk is under heavy chase by Henry, who's stalking him for the title. A big Haas tag war here. V and Henry look awesome together, I thought, with Stryker. Joey calls them the Colossal Coalition, which is a cool name. We get those clips of Kane saving Punk. Uh, him and Henry start things off as the champ tries to stick and move, but Henry chucks him around between attacks. Kane is in. We get some big bombs back and forth, but Kane goes at the knee to rattle him. Punk and Kane have some good tag work going on as they keep Henry off balance. Henry smashes Punk with a clothesline. He takes over, tags Big Daddy V, who smothers and mauls the champion. Punk bumps all around. eats a pretty good beating for both guys. Dodges a charge and tags Kane. Comes in hot with a flurry. He's been working a lot faster lately, as we've noted, Scott. Uh, v fights off a choke slam. Hits a sit-out bomb for two as Punk makes a save. The Colossal Coalition double up on Kane. We settle into a second seat segment. 
focused on grinding down Kane's back by leaning on him into a big Henry bear hug. Kane tries to punch back, eventually DDTs Henry and makes the tag. Punk comes in with a wild flurry, including two great running knees to V. Things break down. A striker catches a shot as well. Punk flies off the top, but V catches him and smashes him with a Samoan drop for the upset win. Pretty good tag match, honestly. Uh, v and Henry's a real fun Haas team. They're just ball guys. I kind of wanted them to stay together. Punk showed why he's so well uh, rated at this point, bumping and selling and connecting with crisp strikes. The finish was fine, too, with high, two high-level challengers for Punk. Takes an understandable loss, given what's going on with these two guys. Uh, that just is good stuff. ECW finally has some semblance of direction of where they want to go. So, Greg, I went two and three quarters. And, I mean, are you okay with this use of Punk? Like, what is the goal of ECW right now? Is it just a third brand? Is it to develop guys? Like, has Punk outgrown this role? What do you think? I... I have no idea what they're doing with ECW at this point. I don't know if they want to use it as a developmental. I don't know if it's the third brand. I, I don't know. It, it just seemed like, oh, you have your world champion teaming with Kane, which is like the oddest tag team ever. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, but I have to appreciate that Joey Styles giving a nice little tribute to Art Donovan talking about how much weight <laughs> CM Punk is giving up here in this match. I gave it two and a quarter. Um, I think we talked about this on the last show with Chad Jr. about Punk and, you know, maybe this is the time for him to have, maybe he's peaked and it's time for him to, you know, pass off the, the, um, the ECW belt and move on to something else. Maybe he's main roster ready. Um, I actually did not mind this finish. I, I like this Mark Henry, Big Daddy V. They're kind of like, you know, the ECW version of Bundy and Stud, the colossal jostle. Um, I, because I really do think that Big Daddy V, you know, Vince likes punishing him by making him not wear mm-hmm. shirts. He has gigantic moves, but <laughs> let me tell you something. Fucking guy is busting ass. Um, yeah. And, I think he's a guy that I think he's the guy that Punk should have lost to. I think it would have been great to see Big Daddy V as ECW champion, just, oh. just destroying dudes and build up somebody in that on that roster at the moment to be the next guy. Um, or as a counter, what if we move V and Henry to one of the other shows as a tag team? Like, I think they were great as a team with Stryker as the, as the manager. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with that either. Uh, my only concern there is um, who does who's Punk's next opponent? Because I feel like there's not enough heels on mm-hmm. on ECW right now to counter him. Having said that, if there was, then yeah, I think that's an awesome team. They'd be a fun team to counter with uh, either either brand, Raw or SmackDown. Right. But I I don't know. I think I kind of like them here at the moment because I think that Big Daddy V, maybe not Mark Henry. Although he will win it, I guess, eventually down the line. But I, I, I think I think Big Daddy V would have been a great guy to um, to uh, uh, take the belt from Punk so Punk can move on to the main roster. But having said that, I thought this was a fun match. Two and a quarter. I had no problem with the finish. I like that the heels won. I think it's no problem for uh, no problem for Punk. Doesn't do anything for him to hurt him. All right, let's go backstage where Edge and Vicky Guerrero are there. Vicky's in a wheelchair preparing for a victory party. Edge is gushing over being lucky enough to have her and says all of her pain and suffering will subside when he wins. We seal with a kiss of her hand, kind of tease making out, and we're quickly into hyperdrive with this relationship, which we'll be talking about quite a bit here. Yes. For sure. Yes. 
Great. All right, let's head to our next match, which is Shawn Michaels taking on Mr. Kennedy. On 11-19, Kennedy interrupted a promo between Michaels and Orton, where he said it was his time for a shot at the title. Michaels and Kennedy began to brawl, and William Regal made an immediate match. But it never happened, as the two continued to fight through the break, where Michaels got super-kicked a chair into Kennedy's face, knocking him out of the ring. On 11-26, Kennedy cut a promo where he mentioned Michaels had turned on all of his partners, lost all his high-profile matches, and Kennedy said he was hungrier and more talented. Said the lowest of Michael's lows wouldn't compare to what he has in store for him. And it was announced they would fight at Armageddon. On 12-3, the two men brawled into the crowd and Kennedy showed up during an Orton-Michaels non-title match. During the brawl, Michaels accidentally super kicked the timekeeper when Orton moved out of the way. And that brings us to our match. Kennedy stalks out. Really big, big profile match for him, Scott. We've talked a lot about him kind of scuffling and being a little disappointed since his return. Uh, but he looks aggravated and maybe prepared for delivering on this one. JR does say it's the biggest match of his career. He cuts his usual promo and a mm-hmm. good use of Sean. He's out of the title picture after a couple months fighting with Orton, working with guys that could be elevated through him. The crowd is fully behind Sean, but Kennedy strikes first with an aggressive batch of strikes, knowing what's on the line. Kennedy's all over him talking shit, going at the head in the back. Sean turns a tide, but his attack is slower enough track due to the opening onslaught. Kennedy's in a lot of pain after a single arm DDT, and Sean goes right to work on the arm. Shoves Kennedy hard outside into the barricades. He gets a breathing room. Kennedy's hand and arm selling have been fantastic here, really enhancing the attack. Kennedy keeps trying to punch. Eventually, he shoves Sean into the post, first to break his control. Back in the ring, Kennedy gets to work on the back. Really good amplified offense. Everything is standing out. Nice touches. Kennedy tries to get feeling back at his hand while working a submission. Really nice attention to detail. The selling has been fantastic by both guys. Sean slugs his way back into the match. We head down the home stretch. Sean gets his closing offense as the crowd is rallying, but Kennedy ducks sweet and music gets a roll-up for a really good near fall. Sean counters a uh, Green Bay plunge with a roll-up for two as we swing back and forth. King notes that Kennedy's hand is still bugging him as we go down the finish. Kennedy slingshots Sean to the ring post and hits the plunge, but Sean kicks out and actually gets some boost from the fans for that one. Sean blocks a DDT and Kennedy punches him, but he hurts his hand as a result. And that opening gives Sean a chance to hit sweet chin music to win the match to an actual split reaction. Uh, this was really damn good. Uh, it was high quality, pure wrestling, no BS, tremendous selling, on point offense, well designed. To me, this match alone single-handedly improved Kennedy's stock and showed he could hang in a big spot. The hand-selling was so good and played into the finish, which felt like a lucky last-second shot than Sean beating him, which is good for Kennedy. Um, so, Scott, I, just, I really like this match. I went three and a half stars. And if you felt the same, is this the real Kennedy? Is he coming to us finally after the rust? Or is Michaels carrying him through this? Good question. Uh, I gave it a three and a half, too, because I actually I thought the match was a lot of fun. I, I like to be optimistic for Kennedy because I feel like the, you know, the last f- four or five months, he's just kind of slogged his way through. But I really. I mean, John's a better wrestler. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So that, it's always difficult to decide or 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 decipher when you're watching a match with him if it is a legitimate mm-hmm. back and forth. Or if Sean is just kind of helping him get through the motions, I'd like to think. Uh, I'd like to think that um, Kennedy turned the corner here and got back on the horse. I really want to think that. So I'm going to go with it because it was a lot of fun. It was a good back and forth. It told a good story. I feel like Kennedy really beat Sean up 
and Sean did his usual great selling. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they do RKO out of nowhere. Now it's like sweet chin music out of nowhere. Um, well, and Kennedy's selling was so good, which makes you think it is a lot on him. Like yeah. that hand and arm selling was so good. He was doing it the whole time. Yeah, it was really I agree. Well done. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm going to I'm going to feel optimistic here, Greg, that that Kennedy has turned the mm-hmm. corner and has gotten out of the doldrums and, and, and maybe is going to get himself back on track. Maybe he'll that maybe they'll have him win this money in the bank again or heck, maybe even win the Rumble or something. Who knows? But he's definitely better now than he was even in terms of just the way I feel about him than I did a month ago. Yeah, this was a big turning point for Kennedy. I, I went three and a half stars, too. Um, you could tell that Kennedy really needed this match after uh, being in the doghouse. So, and I also think it really helped him to work with uh, someone like Sean. So, and you could tell they were working their ass off. They told a great story in the ring. I liked the story with the hand. And the I didn't expect the ending of that match with the super kick, the sweet chin music out of nowhere. So, it was a fun match. And I loved all the stuff they did. Three and a half stars, definitely. Yeah, it really caught me off guard. I didn't remember this being this good. So we'll see what Kennedy's ceiling is as we get into 08. But this makes you feel pretty good coming out of the end of the year after what's been kind of a tough back end. Yeah, I agree. All right, Todd Grisham is with Randy Orton, who will face the winner of Triple H versus Jeff Hardy uh, as long as he retains his belt later tonight. Orton gives Grisham shit and... In a very prophetic, maybe, statement, says the only way to beat the virus is, uh, well, he says he will beat the virus tonight, and the way to cure a virus is by shutting the virus down. And It is really, it was really funny when he said it. I'm like, wow, if only he knew. Uh, Jericho is just full of empty promises, and all the hype in the world won't help him beat the best ever. Really good stuff by Orin, who's just been on Time fire. to play the game! It's amazing how you knock me off my feet. Mm, I won't know. I won't know what you and so forever, a dream of you and me together. Cause tonight is the night when two become one. I need some love like I never needed love before. And as was just mentioned by Grisham, our next match is Jeff Hardy versus Triple H to determine the number one contender to the WWE title. On the 11-19 Raw, Hardy was attacked after winning a match by disqualification against Umago, and Snitsky interfered. After holding them off for a while, Hardy was joined by Triple H to help clear out Umaga and Snitsky. Grisham interviewed Triple H about why he made the save. Triple H said him and Hardy had nothing in common, but they do have respect. William Regal made the match for Armageddon on November 26th. Hardy was interviewed later about 
his Armageddon match against Triple H. He said he hoped the match didn't get in the way of the friendship. Triple H then appeared and said Hardy wouldn't be stepping in the ring with his friend or his partner. He'd be facing the game. And a week later, they added the stipulation that the winner here would earn a title match at the Royal Rumble. So a huge chance for Jeff Hardy, who's have a swift come up out of the tag division into the main event scene. His relationship with Hunter has helped. He's the current IC champion. He gets a big pop. And in the usual big entrance for Hunter as well, King said this could all be intimidating for Hardy. And JR is really playing up that Triple H is established as a main eventer, and Hardy's kind of new to it still, despite his uh, experience. We start with a handshake and a shove to set the tone, and then into the action. Hunter's looking great here, slimmed down and cut. We'll see if he can use his power still to overpower Hardy. Hunter delivers some power strikes early, has a nice presentation, going to being confident but not being a dick or dismissive, which isn't always easy for him. Hardy tries different paths to control, but Hunter's calm and cuts him down every time, kind of playing up. They know each other very well. Head back to the ring where Jeff hesitates to punch. Hunter slaps him hard in the face and tells him to fight as Jeff just glares at him. So Jeff picks up the intensity and we go up a gear from there. Jeff picks up the pace and runs through some offense before slapping Hunter hard in the face. Hunter smiles and brings the fight right back at him. Things head outside where Hunter throws Hardy into the steps. Controls from there, keeping a steady pace. We get a big bump where Jeff goes up top. Hunter shoves him into the railing. JR says Hardy's off his game since the start. Kings thinks Hunter's borderline toying a bit or at least keeping a measured pace as he gets picked apart. As uh, Hardy gets picked apart. JR keeps referencing the ongoing snowstorm that has grounded all the plains in the Northeast. I guess on my birthday. Close to it. <coughs> Hardy keeps pushing and hanging in, and King says Hunter must be impressed by the resilience. Hardy finds a seam and gets a missile dropkick and starts to piece together some offense. Hardy dodges, or Hunter dodges a slingshot dropkick, but Hardy comes back and knocks him outside, meets him with a plancha. Back in the ring, Hardy keeps up the momentum and lands some big shots for near falls. Now we start to get some big counters. We get sneaky covers where they can, as Hardy is proving to Triple H that he can keep going. And going, Hardy hits a slingshot dropkick, but comes up empty on a swanton, but he survives a pinfall there. Hardy counters a pedigree, and Hunter counters a twist of fate into a spinebuster, and it looks like the magic may be done for Hardy. But he counters another pedigree into a jackknife pinfall and steals the win. Hunter looks shocked and almost kind of amused as Hardy celebrates his big win through the crowd. So a really solid match here, uh, very similar to the last one, well-constructed and told a simple story. No bullshit, no nonsense, just pure wrestling. Hunter did a nice job of feeling like the bigger dog but not treating Hardy like a joke. Hardy hung and hung and hung and found a way to win. It felt a little fluky, but I don't know. It, it stayed just enough to maybe feel like a sharp play rather than luck. Uh, the follow-up will be just as important, though. What do they use Hardy from here? Uh, do we do something stupid where Hunter gets his win back or anything like that? We'll see. So Sky went three and a half. And do you feel this elevated Hardy or do you think it was painted as fluky? Um, three and a half for me. Mm -hmm. It's on a fun. To me, this match was all about how Triple H's uh, reactions and the way he handled it. At no mercy when they wrestled. It was more like Triple H was kind of like, you stupid little shit. You're never going to be better than me. You could flop around all you want, but you're just not me. But as as the as the weeks progressed through Survivor Series into now, he was more like, God damn it, Jeff. You know you're better than this. Stop fucking around and fight me. You know, come on, beat me. And and it was it was very different. Triple H was almost like rallying him to to beat him, daring him to beat him but not as a jerk, more like a coach. Mm -hmm. And I think 
I don't think it's a fluke at all. It was just to win the match. You don't have to be impressive. You just got to win. And tri- that's what Triple H's smirk was like, like that fucking son of a bitch. He finally, finally figured it out. Like he, like Triple H gave that smirk, like this fucking kid finally figured out how to win a match like this. You don't have to go crazy. You just need to be smarter. I thought it was awesome. I thought yeah. the, the mannerisms and the way they were going back and forth with each other was Triple H was more like, was not condescending to him or patronizing him. It was more like a, damn it, Jeff, you're better than this. Come mm-hmm. on, I'm not going to give this to you, but you can do this. You know, it was, it was, I was impressed. I was actually impressed with the way Triple H handled himself in this match, not coming off like a. Honestly, he's been really good since his return. I mean, I obviously not as big a fan as you. I've, you know, I've always kind of been ambivalent more than anything, but he, uh, since SummerSlam, he's in that stupid Booker match, he's really turned up the heat and it really picked up at No Mercy. Um, he's in great shape. He's working different kinds of matches, helping put yep. other guys over. So he's this has been a really good run for him. We'll see how it continues into 08. But for now, it's it's been enjoyable. It has been. And and it's not I don't think it's a fluke for Jeff because mm. the whole the whole thing, the whole story for Jeff. And I'm curious your thoughts, Greg, is that. You don't need to be the most athletic or the most or the both most, most no. defying risk taker. You just need to be the smartest one. All yeah. you need is seconds and that's how I yeah. feel like this place was telling Jeff Jeff find the three seconds where can mm-hmm. you get and he he outsmarted him he just he ended he actually won that match that's exactly how Sean beat Triple H at SummerSlam 02 the exact same way and I, I thought that was pretty funny so I thought the match was great I thought the story in the ring was great and and the right guy got over yeah, I went actually three and three quarters. Um, this was a good back and forth mask and um, told good story. And I think this really elevated Jeff to get a big win over somebody like Hunter. And you could tell the crowd was really wanting Jeff to win this match. And it was so electric when he won it. And I got to say, my favorite moment is when Jeff wins and he's out in the crowd celebrating the dude taking the picture in the Santa hat and the Rudolph T-shirt. Classic. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see where Hardy's push goes from here. If they can follow up on it. Backstage, Greg Kali and Runjan Singh issue a warning to Finley about payback for saving Hornswoggle as Survivor Series. And that is our next match as Finley takes on the great Kali. On November 19th, Raw, Hornswoggle defeated Carlito in a non-annoy Astros uh, release. In a no-DQ match when Finley interfered, hit a clothesline on Carlito and threw Hornswoggle on top for the win. On the 1120 SmackDown, Vince McMahon teamed uh, Finley with Hornswoggle in a match against Mark Henry. Finley and Hornswoggle won the match when Finley hit Henry with the Shillelagh behind the ref's back, and Hornswoggle got the pin with the rocket launcher. After the match, Kali appeared, and he and Henry attacked Finley. On 1126, McMahon made the match between Finley and Kali, and on December 14th, Hornswoggle fought Kali to a no contest when Finley appeared before the match began, attacked Kali, and then knocked Singh to the floor after he attempted to take Hornswoggle hostage. Uh, moments later, Kali dropped Finley with a chop to the head and the tree slammed. So that brings us to where we are here. Pretty basic stuff. Again, playing off Finley's involvement at Survivor Series. Kali has done well to kind of stay relevant here after being thrown out of the title picture. Finley stomps out as Cole says Hornswoggle has the luck of the Irish, but JBL says the McMahons will always survive, and Vince expects Finley to protect his son. Finley starts with, or Kali starts with some heavy artillery, big chops and punches, throws Finley to the floor. 
all Kali. His family's been wrecked from the start, eating a huge boot, trapped in a nerve hold into a vice grip. Kali drags Hornswoggle into the ring and then slings him back out with ease. Finley grabs a shillelagh, but Kali grabs him in the, by the throat before he can use it. In comes Hornswoggle, who hits a low blow, and Finley clubs down Kali and pins him. Very surprising to me uh, to see Kali take a rare pinfall loss. Hornswoggle gives payback for his buddy for Survivor Series and a decent shit-kicking from Kali that made him look dominant. Uh, pretty much a squash until Finley stole it, and I thought it was good enough. It didn't outstay its welcome. Uh, so, Greg, I want to start in three quarters. And, I mean, is Kali done as a star? Is he a sideshow now? He had his title run and he's involved in this stuff? Or where do you think he goes from here? He's, he's basically a comedy character now at this point. So, but, yeah, I want a star and a half here. And um, it, I I did love the ball shot, though, that Bordenswoggle <laughs> gave uh, Kali. I gave it. I gave the ball shot four and a half stars. <laughs> What is this, Scott? I, I'm trying to I'm trying to speak nicely here. Um, <laughs> I give it one and a quarter. Uh, I feel like Kali is just is losing any semblance of mm. of of importance, even as a guy that big. Like it's not Andre. He's not Big Show. Um, he's not taken as seriously as a guy that big should be. You know what I mean? And, you know, Finley winning is fine. I mean, it's a baby face win. He's protecting his boy Hornswoggle, but um, they're just wastes of time now. Like, Holly just can't move. He's clumsy. Um, I mean, he's got an impressive build for a guy that big, but he's just so clumsy. And uh, it's it's just not, it's rough. It's rough to watch any match with him at this point. His knees are shot. His back is shot. His hips are shot. I mean, it's it's rough. It's rough to watch. And I feel like the crowd doesn't care. It's lost its aura. He's lost his aura. And I feel like um, sticking him in a pay-per-view match is doing nothing but sucking the energy out of the room. And we've had a great show so far. We've had good matches. And I feel like, once again, we stick Kali in a slot here, and he sucks the energy out of the room. So I was not impressed again. And uh, it's going to become a problem eventually if this is the best they could do in terms of like monster heels. Mm. You know, I, I just don't know what else you do with him. Like he I don't either. ran through the scene of gauntlet. He's been champion. He's fought Batista. I think this is kind of it. I mean, you can go one or two paths. You can make him kind of in the, some of the comedy stuff, even though he's not really the co- comedic part of this. It's really Hornswoggle. But um, or you do the sideshow stuff. And I don't know. Is he fight Kane? Like, I, I don't know. It's it's a weird type of guy to have to use i know i know very hard very hard right now but you're paying him and he's that big you got to do something with him so yeah all right we'll see we get a video package for our next match which is the returning chris jericho challenging randy orton on the opening segment of november 19th raw we saw a marathon runner with a torch orton came on the screen and said that when the runner arrived at the arena it would signify the passing of the torch to him in the closing segment, out came Orton. He bragged about his big wins over Triple H and Shawn Michaels and called for the marathon runner to bring him the torch. The runner is shown on screen in the arena where he got clotheslined by Chris Jericho as seen from behind. The Matrix-style announcement appeared on the screen, Save Us Y2J, announcing the return of Jericho from a two-year absence. He indicated he was back for the fans and to take this title off of Orton. 
Jericho cut a promo a week later on Orton since he challenged him to a title match and assumed it's because Orton was too stupid to understand him. Jericho put a visual aid on the big screen to get the point across of me want title match. On the 1127 SmackDown, it was announced that Jericho would indeed challenge Randy Orton here. So after two years, Y2J's back right in the title picture, an immediate challenger to fill his gap against the red-hot Orton. The usual big entrance for Jericho as he marches out to a pop. Good main event injection to this card. Orton Swagger's developed as well, of course, at a high level. He controls off the top. Jericho quickly turns the tide and goes to the arm. Works that in the ribs between some offense. Jericho kicks Orton to the floor. Flies into him with a cross body off the top, but also splats on the mat. We head back inside where he gets a walls tease, but Orton hits a DDT to slow him down. Orton grinds away from there, going on the ankles and then grabbing a tight chin lock. He cranks out for a while, fighting through a break and a perfect drop kick. Things slow up. We get a nasty looking spot where they bang heads, leaving a welt on Jericho. Jericho picks up the pace with a strike flurry, tries to steal a fall, but Orton hangs in. Things ebb and flow from there. Orton hits a twisting, a nice tight power slam for two. Orton hammers away on Jericho, loads up a superplex, and snaps Jericho down with it. Jericho recovers. We get a walls tease, but Orton pushes out. Jericho keeps bringing it, focusing on the head, but Orton blocks a lion salt. Jericho counters an RKO, hits a lion salt for the best near fall of the match. The crowd really bit on it. Orton comes firing back again as we push along. Orton slings Jericho to the SmackDown announce table. As he's recovering, he accidentally bumps into JBL. Back inside, Jericho nails Orton off the top, but Orton blocks a codebreaker with a buckle bomb. Jericho dodges a punt and twists into the walls of Jericho to a big pop. But just before Orton could tap, in comes JBL from nowhere, and he kicks Jericho in the face for the DQ, saving Orton's title. After the match, Orton hits an RKO for the bell, after the bell. Uh, so I thought this is okay. Kind of disappointing, though. Uh, but also expected, because Jericho's rust and time off clearly were going to be an issue. Uh, Orton did what he could to navigate, but everything was a step off. And when it did pick up, we get this abrupt ending, which really pissed off the crowd. Uh, I think it makes sense to protect Jericho, but there's probably better ways to do it. Orton escapes and rolls on. Fine match that never got into gear. And didn't really make anyone look good. And honestly, I thought it made Jericho look like kind of a dink uh, in his big return. So I went three stars, Scott. And if we're going to go this way, like, should Jericho just have done something else and not been involved with Orton? Because it felt like it kind of made him look like a one, one-time challenger. And he just kind of gets worked over by an announcer. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. It didn't really click for me. Uh, yeah, I gave this match a three. Uh, this was Jericho's first match back mm-hmm. since I mentioned that night after, uh, the night after uh, SummerSlam 05, when he lost the loser leave town to, uh, or loser gets fired match to Cena. Um, but he definitely was not in the swing of things. Obviously, he's been doing nothing but Fozzie stuff for the last year and a half. Um, almost two years. Um, actually, it was almost over two years. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I get trying to, like, build Orton's resume of, like, great workers but great workers are good if they were working every month um i don't know if this was just to spike a match for a throwaway december pay-per-view but it you definitely tell that and and orton right now is is so red hot that sticking him in a match with a guy who's not totally with it probably was not the best thing And, and the jbl stuff just made no fucking sense to me i don't understand the whole back on that um uh I just, I, uh, I, I mean, and we're giving this three, I gave this three stars. I still think the match is pretty good, but the end is kind of, he does look like a dink. That's actually, that's a good way to put it because, you know, he's a, 
he gets the one match and that's it. I would have had Jericho. Um, shit, I would have just given Orton, I don't know, give Orton the, the match off or something. Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe put Jericho in a triple threat with Triple H and Jeff Hardy. I don't know. I don't know what you do, but sticking him in this like right out of the gate does nothing for him. Certainly did nothing for Orton. And for some strange reason, all of a sudden, out of the blue, here comes JBL. The whole thing mm-hmm. made no So uh, I gave it three stars, Greg, but mostly because the in-ring was pretty good for the most part. But I don't think anybody got any favors out of this match. No. Uh, of getting out of it, what what to do. No, I uh, gave it a three and a quarter. I'm a little bit more generous, but uh, yeah, um, same thoughts that you guys had on the match, so. Yeah, I, just, I don't know what else they could have done. Like, I don't know who else Orton could have faced. I, I think they kind of had to do it, but I don't know. Just JBL hasn't been involved at all. It just felt like a real random attack. Uh, I, I think maybe having Jericho... I, see, I don't know. I feel like Orton just keeps getting all these fuck finishes. So like, I don't know how, I don't know way around it. Like, right. Jericho snapping and hitting him with a chair, maybe. Um, or maybe they just... Jericho wipes him out on the floor, but I guess we had the MVP count out earlier, so I don't know. I just, or maybe the JBL thing just happens quicker. Like maybe they brawl outside and Jericho bumps into JBL. JBL pops up and close lines him, shoves him in the ring and Orton RKO's him. Like, yeah, he gets pinned, but it's believable. You know what I mean? Like Jericho's not never been a guy that you have to super protect. Right. And maybe that makes him look like, like less of an idiot if you do it that way. I agree. I agree. So. Kind of, kind of killed the buzz of him coming back. <laughs> yeah, I just, it's like, all right, I guess it's you and JBL. All right, Jillian Hall comes out to spread Christmas cheer. Plugs her new iTunes exclusive "Jingling with Jillian" album. Jillian rattles off reviews of the album and then all her uh, singles, and uh, including "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas." She sings that as the announcers chime in and shit on her. And eventually, Mickey James interrupts because our next match is Mickey James challenging Beth Phoenix for the women's championship on the 1126 raw Mickey pin Molina to earn this title match here. Uh, she skips out best option for contender at this point. Beth is out. The package really coming together. She's continued to build a resume. Pretty good matchup on paper. Mickey brings it as uh, on Beth to start, but Beth mows her down. Mickey pops up. We get some back and forth trading a strike, some violent throws. Beth keeps countering the attack with her power offense as usual. Beth wrenches Mickey's neck, but she kicks free. The crowd's kind of checked out on this one, uh, but Beth's power offense has been sharp, including a really cool-looking double chicken wing surfboard. Mickey turns the tide with a Frankensteiner, and it does press, and keeps bringing it. As King says, this is the most offense Beth has had to sustain. Mickey gets a nice missile dropkick for two, but Beth comes back and finishes with a Fisherman's Buster to retain. So solid match by the top two workers of the division. Mickey brought the heat, but Beth withstood and held on. Hopefully it continues on and Mickey will stay in the mix. We'll see to uh, give them some more time to develop. So Greg went two and a quarter and I don't know. Where do you feel like the women's division lines up here at the end of the year? Do you like Beth as champion? Should she just keep kind of rolling for now? Yeah, keep going where it is with Beth. Um, I gave this about uh, two stars. So I've, I, I don't know where the, the division, I mean, it tells you how far that the state of women's wrestling WWE mm-hmm. has been the last 15 years where the crowd was just dead for this match, to be honest. Yeah. Well, they're coming off Jericho. Yeah. It aren't as well. So it's a tough spot. Yeah. I gave it two stars. Um, 
it is kind of in a rough spot because, you know, it just came they did just come off the Orton Jericho stuff and they're kind of getting themselves ready for the main event. So it is kind of a kind of a death slot there. Um, but I mean, I'm okay with it. Most of these women can, can eat pins. So, and I love Mickey, but just keep Beth moving along. Just let her just chew up opponents and spit them out and keep her hot till you start working on some other future contenders. Just make her look like a beast because she's earned it because she, she looks it, you know, she's, she's very attractive, but she's, she's built and she can beat the shit up these women. Just keep her going. Honestly, I mean, I wasn't expecting anything out of this match other than maybe a couple good moves by Mickey. But for the most part, just watch her get trucked. And she did. So I, I'm I'm fine with that in terms of in terms of the result. But as we get into 2008, the uh, the, the, the women's division kind of needs to to freshen up a little bit. All right. Time for our main event for that, though, <clears throat> we get our promo for WrestleMania 24. And then Michael Cole is joined by Taz to set up the main event here. We get a promo package for our title match as Batista defends against The Undertaker and Edge in a triple threat match. Of course, Edge made his return to Survivor Series. On the 11-23 SmackDown, we opened with a backstage segment with Edge and Vicky Guerrero, where she berated him for interrupting the match at Survivor Series, but then gave Edge a title shot against Batista. Edge revealed it was Vicky that helped him interfere, and the two started to kiss. A week later on SmackDown was filled with more surprises. Batista fought Edge to a no contest when Undertaker appeared, scared Edge from the ring, and then hit the choke slam on Batista. After the bout, Teddy Long showed up and set up the big three-way for the title at Armageddon, which was Teddy's surprise return after a three-month layoff. Huge mid-event. We sneak in one more Taker-Batista showdown here in 07. But Batista feels a little shoehorned in, for sure. Uh, Edge is back right in the title picture, along with a whole lot of GM nonsense. Teddy's back. Edge is hooking up with Vicky, who had been filling in as GM. Uh, Batista feels squeezed out. Doesn't really have much else going on. The whole build has been zeroed on Edge, Teddy, Vicky, and Taker. Uh, Long entrances for all. We get the big pop for Batista, always looking awesome. Edge does his full deal, and of course, the extended Undertaker entrance as well. Good start with all three wrestling with some desperation right away, trying to toss one guy out of the ring while the others throw down. We also get a quick Batista Undertaker bomb throw down, which is always fun. A lot of action outside there. Uh, as Edge pretty much sneaks his way into control, tries his best to steal the win on Batista while Taker's wiped out. Batista comes back, gets blocked spear, gets a power slam, but Taker makes a save. Get a good spot as Batista clotheslines Taker before he can hit an apron leg drop on Edge. Pretty easy flow going here as all three men keep training offense. Taker finally gets his crack at Edge and makes the most of it, battering with all his big spots, but unable to finish. Taker loads up the last ride, but Batista breaks it up with a spear, just barreling into him. Taker traps Batista in the triangle choke, and the bell rings, so Taker releases the hold, but we find out it was Edge ringing the bell. So the match restarts, and Taker is super pissed, but he turns and walks into an Edge spear, but survives. Edge gets the near fall on Batista, but he can't finish. Edge grabs a pair of chairs and set up, sets up a concerto on Batista, but he blocks it. Taker knocks Batista off the top rope and then takes him down the huge superplex that looked awesome. Edge hangs around ringside as he watches the two beasts just battle each other. When he does come in, he eats a spear. Taker and Batista keep fighting. Now just let's say two guys um, that look like, just like Edge showed up on the floor as well. <clears throat> Fake Edge comes, uh, I'm sorry, let me repeat that. Two guys that look like Edge show up on the floor. A fake edge comes off the top and Taker choke slams him. He goes back to war with Batista. The two trade more big blows that ends an Undertaker tombstone. Edge comes in with a chair and bashes him in the face and then covers Batista to steal the win and escape with his clones. 
So very well worked three way, very smooth, some big spots, easy chemistry with Taker and Batista flowing. Uh, through the end, it's interesting as well. As Edge keeps bringing out all kinds of tricks and shenanigans to win these matches, really playing up him being the ultimate opportunist, but also kind of makes him look a little weaker. Like, he can't hang with these guys without this sh- chicanery. Uh, so good heel stuff, though. Batista and Taker are, are so fun together. It's been a great ride with them. We'll see where Batista heads from now, uh, from here, without the title involved. Taker and Edge have the main issue on display, and they'll be the centerpiece of SmackDown. That's clear. So Sky went three and a half. Uh, anything you have in mind for Batista to go from here? Um, no, (laughs) I mean, now that he's not champion anymore, um, and we obviously know that the belt now is on, on edge and it's going to be focused on edge and taker for the most part, at least over the next, obviously between now and probably Orlando and in, in March. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe, I don't know. He'll probably have a, a maybe he'll you give him. I mean, we we saw earlier in the year that him and Edge have don't have the best chemistry together. So I don't know. SmackDown's kind of in a weird spot right now because maybe he goes to Raw. Like, is that the play? You know? Yeah, because I mean, there's really there's nothing on SmackDown mm. at the moment. The main events tied up with Taker and and Edge. You've got MVP as U.S. champion. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I thought I enjoyed the match though, and I love Edge. Uh, you know, sneaking in and you hadn't seen the guy in a while. And all of a sudden he, you know, he becomes a world champion again. Uh, I dig that. And I know it's all for, to get ready for taker. Um, yeah, maybe it's time for Batista to go back to raw. It's been, you know, yeah. two years. Um, for the most part, Greg, I thought the match was good. I like edges champion. Uh, but first off your thoughts on the match and what would you do with Batista at this point? Cause I'm kind of at a loss. I agree with JR. Maybe raw going back to raw is the way to go. Uh, I, I went three and a half stars. Um, I thought it, they all three were good together. I liked all the spots in the match and I, and I especially like how they bring in the debut of Ryder and Hawkins as the, uh, mm-hmm. flunkies. So that's nice. Um, gives, uh, Ryder and Hawkins, because they're now rebranded as Ryder and Hawkins, something to do now with Edge. So, um, I, I don't know where Batista goes from here. Uh, I think, yeah, g- giving Orton a fresh challenger and bringing Batista to Raw would be a good idea. Um, it's just, I, because now Taker's going to be with Edge until Mania, so it's like you got to give Batista something to do in the meantime. So I feel like he needs something that doesn't involve a world title, though. Like, can we get him a feud yeah. somewhere that because that's all he does? Like, he just keeps getting title matches, and it gets kind of absurd after a while. Like, literally all of 07 is him in title matches. <laughs> like, know. you know, it's, it should be it should be some way to figure out a feud for him. Otherwise, you know. I agree. All right, let's get to our awards. We wrap things up here. Uh, MVP of the night. I went Jeff Hardy. I mean, it was kind of his night. Got his big win. Moving on to the Rumble for the title picture for the title match. I agree, definitely. The guy in the Santa hat. My MVP <laughs> of the night. No, seriously, Jeff Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, LVP. You know, again, I don't know if it's his fault or the booking, but I went Jericho. Like, I just thought he was made to look kind of goofy at the expense of like getting JBL over and it almost felt like a throwaway challenger for Orton versus a legitimate threat. I think there's probably better ways we could have went about his return. Uh, yes, definitely. 
I, I know they tried to be high profile with the match, but it didn't do him any favors. Yeah, same. Okay. All right. For the best match of the night, I went with the main events, uh, Taker, Edge, and Batista. Yeah, I, I liked, I did like Jeff Hardy and Triple H, but I, I'm going to go with the main event too. I'm going to go opposite. I'm going to go with uh, Hunter and Hardy as my match of the night. Hmm. Okay. All right. Least uh, worst match of the night, I should say, to me uh, was Finley and Kali. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Absolute garbage. I almost gave Kali LVP, but um, no. Nah, but the match is garbage. Well, we we did get a Kali promo, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, for best moment, I went Jeff Hardy's win. I'm celebrating yeah, the crowd. Yep, I agree. Hardy win, definitely. Surprise of the night. Uh, this one with JBL coming out of the booth to attack Jericho. Yeah, surprise. Nobody won. <laughs> but a surprise nonetheless. All right. Same for you, uh, yeah. Craig. All right, let's uh, final grade. So, uh, you know, this is a pretty solid show. Like, it, um, a little step behind some of our best stuff, but there's nothing really bad. Like, even the Finley match was fine, and everything else was, like, pretty good. It doesn't have that great match to carry it, but I thought everything was rock solid and enjoyable. They kind of got everyone over the need to get over. So, I went six and a half. I think it's a rare, pretty good December show. I'm going to give it a seven because I think it's just a notch below Survivor Series, which I gave seven and a half. Good show, still, but, but a few more empty spots. And this time the Orton match did not carry as much weight as it did at Survivor Series. But still, though, pretty good, a solid end to the year. Um, I mean, seven's nothing to sneeze at, but it just didn't have the same amount of juice that, that Survivor Series did. So it's a little bit below, but still really good. Yeah, I'm going to give this a seven for the pay-per-view, yeah. Okay, very good. All right, Greg, it was great having you here, as always, Scott. In two weeks' time, we will be talking Royal Rumble 2008. Yes. Our first pay-per-view of 08, our first uh, pay-per-view in HD as well. Yes. Of course, uh, so look forward to that. So that'll be in two weeks' time as we continue to make our trek through this overhaul timeline. So until then, everyone, take care. Talk to you in two weeks. (laughs) 